Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And welcome to episode eight. Cruising right along at eight. Oh yeah, we've got eight of them out there. Yeah, it seems no, like it's been nine. really quick. Nine of them. Sorry, well we're on episode eight, nine total. Uh, it's been a quick journey. Yes it has. At nine, that means we've been doing this nine weeks. That's yep. over two months. Yeah. And we've gained a lot of listeners out there. In fact, I wanted to start out by saying we gained uh, some listeners from Germany. Hello there. So shout out to Germany. We're glad you folks are aboard. Want to get more of you out of country people. And we appreciate them. Shoot me an email with some uh, German and maybe I'll learn to say hello in your language. Hey, that'd be really cool. <laughs> that'd be really cool. Uh, but again, we do thank you, Germany. So hope you enjoy what you're hearing. And if you want to hear something more or different, just email us. Let us know. Uh, moving on, I want to do a shout out and talk about our show supporters real quick. Uh, shout out to Mad Farmer once again. He kicked us down a little sample of some concentrate. And Pretty tasty. It was. What'd you think of it? I enjoyed it. It was a. Uh had a very good taste to it it did and it was strong although i hadn't had some concentrate in no and a few i days. think i overdid the size I a, did too. Wee, a wee bit yeah but of course it's always strong so i think you said you were dying <laughs> did i say that i, think I don't did. remember that i'm dying <laughs> and then you're like i don't think i can do another one okay i'll yeah. do another one well it took like a 10 minute recovery but okay typical yeah. guy huh yep yep <laughs> Anyway, so he said it was a super silver haze mixed with a little Jaeger and a dash of pineapple skunk. All nug run. What's up with that? It's Mad Farmer doing the salads all the time, mixing it, everything, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Bam, like emerald. Oh, it tasted good. But <laughs> I don't even know what, what flavors are coming out on that. I can't even explain it. It was good. So thanks, Mad Farmer. Um, and then, you know, I am still enjoying my Peacemaker. How about Absolutely. You? I still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I'm using mine all the time. I still am reaching for it. It's funny. It's not even, it's just, I like it. And um, I think our glass one got clogged about what? Well, technically like a month and a half ago. Yeah, but I just haven't And it's really... been clogged in the drawer ever since we got our Peacemaker. Yeah. And there's just no really good reason to pull it out yet and use it at all I well mean, seeing as i'm the one that scrapes it i'm not really in the mood to do that <laughs> Whatever. so well, i don't know our peacemaker's coming up on maybe a good cleaning here so i'm gonna do what they recommend uh just since we're still reviewing the product i'm gonna do what they say to do with the <clears throat> the pipe and that is to or the pieces and that's to put it in a jar with some alcohol and some salt rock salt so oh. and shake it up so i'm gonna get 
a jar out, uh, one of our littler curing jars, and I'm going to set that aside as the official Peacemaker cleaner. So maybe we'll do a little video or something. And I have a jam jar in there. We show can how use. good it works. Um, <clears throat> on the side note with the Peacemaker, I had someone uh, uh, try it out. It's, there's some kind of flu or something that's been going around, and so... I had someone try it out. I don't remember what it was. I think maybe it was the other day, but um, I tried the lighter on it and didn't burn it. Doesn't melt it. <laughs> I think it was that. It's pretty guy good silicone. Walked by. Yeah, probably. So, um, I'm but, glad yeah. you didn't tell me about that till later. I burned after. it good. I, yeah, I burned it good, and it didn't melt, folks. Uh, yeah, good silicone. It didn't even really leave a mark. I mean, I just, whatever was there, I just wiped off. But man, I burned my lips no too after you told me that. Yeah, so <laughs> if you haven't seen them, check them out. That's uh, peacemakergear.com, P I E C E, makergear.com. That's uh, good stuff. And if you already got the, the pipes or, or the bong, which is pretty cool too, uh, you already know how nice it is. So. Check them out if you haven't. <clears throat> and then also, too, we've started working with Applegate Soils. You know that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I actually am going to go out there and pick up the rest of the dirt for the year. i got to pick up quite a few bags. So I'm going to go out there and talk to Roach and, and get my balance of the year's dirt. I should probably do that soon because I keep talking about that, and I still <laughs> have not done it. But... Again, what's uh, what we mentioned last time, it's really cool is that I, I know I can go in there. I'm only a four planner right now. And so, you know, I can go in there, though, and still get uh, the smaller boxes of stuff that I use and then turn around and buy my 10 to 12 bags of dirt that I'm getting. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. I like that. And mm -hmm. I know it's going to be good stuff. So if you guys haven't ever uh, checked them out, check them out. It's Applegate Soils and Hydroponics. They're expanding their product lines and stuff so right now they have some good base newts like botanic hair and like the one i'm using down to earth and but they've got others uh too so check them out go out and see them see if you like what you see out there uh but they're good people so all right moving on uh <clears throat> i wanted to it was a surprise for us this time i you know wasn't expecting to sit down with kenevere again mm -hmm. uh, i i was but just not so soon and, but that's great. I was really shocked. We The thing that spurred it was we went to their seminar this weekend. And uh, Week. this weekend. Yesterday. Geez. It was yesterday. Wow. <laughs> I'm a few days off now. He's added a couple <clears throat> days between yesterday and today. I've been working hard. So uh, yeah, last night, yesterday, we went to a seminar about uh, contaminants that you can find in your medicinal herbs. And that includes cannabis or really any kind of herbs you're using, whether that's for uh, uh, the oils that people are into these days, just the concentrated essential oils. oils. He sent, thank you, essential oils, or like I said, for cannabis. So uh, we went out there to cover that and to learn uh, some of that science they dropped. And I learned quite a bit. We talked to uh, Jason and we decided that we'd sit down and do a, a quick 50 minutes or so and talk about what you know what that seminar was about and kind of go into more of the cannabis side of it for the growers and the concentrate makers and the water side and the it's it was a lot of information actually yeah and you'd be surprised how easy it is to get contaminants um so you know it's something you got to be aware of some optional testing that you can do 
and uh, it's just kind of a just like I said awareness because uh, a lot of these contaminants come from you know the water and the soil and it's just it can be insidious like it, you just don't know what you might cross contamination Such as something as the lead that we've had in our water you know that's you know just like you brought up that's brief you know that's the thing is it, simple lead in the water uh, Jason points out that these plants do accumulate these things and they, they hold on to it in pretty much every cell in the plant. So, and it does the same thing in our bodies. Yeah. So these are things to be aware of what kind of water you're using, where's your dirt coming from, and maybe they need to be tested. So, <clears throat> um, you can find, uh, Kenevere, uh, at Kenevere, you can find them on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and, uh, of course their website, which is keneverresearch.com. And, you know, we do, we answer questions uh, for those seminars. Y you can do that. It's our Twitter account if you want, at, at Oregon Rooted, or even our Instagram. But mm -hmm. we don't plug those very, I can't believe that. We got all this going on and we don't hardly ever plug our own show. So please, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at Rooted. Our website is up. I, mm -hmm. you know, I know a lot of our social media followers know you this. Always but I, email us also. Always email, but www.com. <laughs> <laughs> Organrooted.com is up. Uh, you can go there. You can become a member. Um, we'd like it if you did become a member. You can comment and, and share. Uh, but nonetheless, we do have all our episodes there. And uh, you can link to us there or subscribe to our podcast for the show through there. And we will have content coming out. Mm -hmm. But it'll be one thing at a time. So Working on shirts. Yeah, at, merchandise gear for sure uh for our members and such um but let's get into the interview and hear what they have to say uh, it's really good stuff and it all applies to exactly what we're dealing with and by the way um in fact let's do a couple of these quick news stories real quick okay do you want to get those out of sure. the yeah because and then they did the apply just yeah and then we'll go right into it so why don't you read the first one that we... All right. The first one I got is Stay True to You. Ads ask teens to think twice before smoking pot. It's by Francesca Fontana for the Oregonian. Okay. Emblazoned over a photo of a classroom, one of the messages in the state's new campaign to keep kids away from marijuana gets right to the point. Being a teenager is hard enough. I'm not sure pot would help. The Stay True to You campaign, including a website, posters, videos, and audio spots created by the Oregon Health Authority, aims to prevent underage use of marijuana by young people ages 12 to 20. Research shows that regular recreational marijuana use by adolescents and young adults is associated with impaired learning and memory, as well as low academic achievement. The Health Authority says... The state agency also found in a survey last year that 9% of Oregon 8th graders and 19% of 11th graders had reported using marijuana in the past month. The home page of the website makes the goal of the public awareness campaign clear. It's not an anti-marijuana push. It strives to increase, uh, increase awareness about the health effects of marijuana on children and young adults. The health authority received nearly 4 million from the legislature to develop the 
to develop and evaluate the pilot program. From there, policy specialist Katie Mosley said the agency conducted focus groups to figure out how best to market to a group that's already in, inundated with messages of all sorts. Okay, and let's just stop there. I mean, it just goes on to yep. say basically it's, that... It sounds like it's saying the same thing all the way yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, but this, <laughs> what happens is this campaign, the reason I wanted to bring it up real quick um, is because it's going to start in Oregon here too. That's the next... There's like four or five states that are coming on with this campaign. And uh, before, when they were running these campaigns it was all the drug war going on and they were uh showing do you ever remember that old school one where the girl's like literally flattened out on the couch yeah, i do and then she's like sliding off the couch and it's just and then the one where the guy's in the drive through and hits the little girl that's riding in front of the drive through on her tricycle yeah i mean br just brutal stuff yeah it really was just again propaganda and when I saw the headline on this one, I, I jumped on it only because I'm thinking, okay, what now? What Seriously, what kind of campaign are they doing now? Right. And this seems okay because here's, here's just my two cents. Basically, they're pretty on with the fact that kids under 20, you know, 21, but I'm, I'm thinking 18, you know, kids under that age are still developing and right. probably shouldn't be messing with anything. Exactly. You they know, should no alcohol, keep their minds open. And, yeah. No, no cannabis none of that stuff i don't which even is think why the, le the legal no drinking age is 21 too yeah. it's <clears throat> so understandable I, yeah so i think this campaign in my opinion is seems good because they do need to be aware that there's other consequences if you're a younger person in terms of health and also too um you don't want to You've already got enough to deal with in your teen years. Right. So you don't want, and they're kind All of saying All those emotions that, are Well, and things like jobs. <laughs> well, sports and jobs. I mean, yep. you've got a lot you can focus on and do, and namely school, you know, your after school activities like sports, which gives you a lot of pleasure, and then um, uh, work. And you don't want, you don't want to be starting out your career or starting out going and and building your foundation for your future by mixing with weed and getting in right. trouble because that's just going to not do no good and employers unfortunately it doesn't matter what the laws are employers can make their own policies and i guarantee right now a lot of employers don't want you smoking well having any cannabis in your system in exactly. any form whether yeah. it's smoking it doesn't matter so i i'll we'll leave it at that but it's an interesting campaign and we'll see it's like i said it's going to hit oregon here soon too. yeah yeah <clears throat> so moving on i now this is where it leads into kenavir and i'm sorry that i got so far into that and then sidetracked but this is where it leads into it it's this is an ad for or not an ad but a new story from uh oregon live and it's it's marijuana labs prepping for regulation and oversight no lab licenses issued yet so this is kind of what Jason is talking about and it's coming October 1st for Oregon. Oregon is going to is going to be one of the first states that's going to uh, have a fully regulated market. We'll see what's going to happen, but let me read it to you. It says starting October 1st, new products headed to marijuana dispensary shelves will have to undergo a battery of tests that assess potency and look for biological contaminants such as E. coli residual solvents from the extraction process used to make oil and dozens of pesticides. The policy shift transforms Oregon's marijuana labs from an unregulated cottage industry into a central part of the state's regulated market. 
Yet, while hundreds of prospective marijuana producers have flooded the Oregon Liquor Control Commission with applications for licenses, only eight testing labs have applied so far. None has received a license yet out of the ones that have applied. That trickle of applications worries state officials who hope to license at least three labs by late summer. Without enough labs to test a large volume of samples, growers risk not getting their products tested and onto the market. So no product will flow through the retail without having labs in the process to do the testing, said Stephen Marks. Um, he's an executive director for the OLCC. So officials say they don't know how exactly how many samples will need to be processed weekly to keep the stores shocked, but they're issuing a lot more producer licenses than they are these labs. Mm -hmm. And so I, I won't keep going too much, but... Essentially, uh, they're looking at labs having to test about 2,500 samples each month just to meet the demand. And if it's worse than that, I mean, they're going to have a lot of cannabis that can't make it to the stores and people uh, in the retail market not being able to get that cannabis, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. We got a lot of growers growing a lot of cannabis for us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have these labs, you know... Um, at least a, enough labs to process this stuff. It could be a, a bottleneck there. Yeah. So here we go. This goes into more of what um, Jason's talking about, uh, except for a lot more detail on the contaminants. And uh, you will that you were there, and yes. so we will talk about that as soon as this is done. All, All right. right. Here is uh, Kim, Doctor Kim Ross, and Jason Wilson from Kenever Research. All right, we are here with Kenavir Research, and we are sitting down with two special guests today. We've got Kim Ross, which is the director for Kenavir. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit about your education, and how you ended up here with Kenavir. So my background is in the biological sciences. I got my bachelor's of science in 2002 in biochemistry. And then I received my PhD in Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology in 2014. Um, so it's Dr. Kim Ross? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> I should have said that. No worries. Uh -huh. um, I could see, uh, I previously lived in Colorado, and we had um, instituted recreational marijuana in 2012. Yeah. And it became pretty obvious that there was going to be a need for um, qualified individuals to help with the analytical testing. I'm also very interested in genomics. Okay. So the genomics of the cannabis yeah. plant really fascinate me. Yeah, great, great. Okay, and so we also have uh, Jason Wilson here, who is the technologist. He's also the quality assurance officer and the education director uh, and IT. <laughs> so we got the full gamut here. Uh, I guess it depends on what they just, whatever they need you Whatever's for. Whatever's needed each day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So why don't you um, tell us, we, okay. So in your seminar, you guys went over uh, common contaminants, contaminants in uh, herbs. Um, and mainly we're going to talk about cannabis today. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys talked uh, about a little bit about the uh, microbiology, the um, bacteria, uh, stuff like that. And then also you guys uh, talked a little bit about uh, fungus that you can find in your product. And then also too, there's other forms of contamination, whether that's, um, you know, 
uh, pesticides, insecticides, right. yeah. uh, and you'd also mentioned heavy metals, mm -hmm. which is a concern. So, uh, Dr. Kim, Dr. Kim Ross, <laughs> Dr. Ross, uh, what with water? Can you tell us the microbiology of water and where we might get those contaminants if we're your average, you know, whether you're just a small four plant or just a, a larger uh, ag grower of cannabis, where are we gonna see those contaminants too? Sure, so water sources are super important and they definitely differ in terms of their microbial load and their ca carrying capacity for microbes. So typical surface water that you would get out of an irrigation ditch or a reservoir, river, or lake, anything that's exposed to the environment and the atmosphere, the carrying capacity of that type of water has turbidity to it. So you can actually see um, particulate mm -hmm. in the water. Yeah. That's generally a microbial load of what we call 10 to the six organisms per milliliter. So that 10 to the 6 is just scientific notation, and it's a way that um, scientists can talk about really big numbers without having to write a lot of zeros. Yeah. So 10 to the 6 is equal to 1 million organisms, and that's just in one milliliter of water, which is about a third of a teaspoon. Yeah, that's not very much. So it's, it's hard to fathom that this many organisms would be living in water where there isn't even that much nutrient available. So if you look at municipal tap water, which a lot of the time uses surface water and then filters it and chlorinates it to disinfect the majority of the microbiology, it brings the level down about a factor of 10. So now you have 10 to the fifth microbes per milliliter. So that's about 100,000. Okay, and but you still have a full team in there. <laughs> yeah, and you know the water is no longer turbid, it's clear. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we think of it as sterile, but it's not sterile. Now, normally these organisms are perfectly harmless. They're just environmental bacteria and they don't contain pathogens. In fact, if you have a healthy microbiome in your water system, it can help exclude pathogens from colonizing because the niches are taken up. Okay, so having those beneficials uh, in, in your dirt even is gonna be um, in your favor. Sure. For, for that biology. Okay, and then Jason, on that uh, note, what about the fungi, the fungus side of that? Um, obviously, you can get that in your water too. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of different types of fungi that could be uh, present in water or soil, and um, yeah, it's all about the the ecology of the you know of the water or the soil. You know, like she just mentioned, it's it's about competition and trying to fill niches and if you have a super sterile soil or water then you're just inviting things to sort of fill those those gaps and that's uh, generally where you have to worry about um, pathogenic stuff if uh, water or soil comes into contact with a pathogen and there's a very open niche then it'll very easily take that place whereas if you have a lot of diversity there um, and ideally you know diversity of harmless microorganisms then uh, it's much harder for a uh, path pathogenic fungus or bacteria to sort of come in and, and fill a role there. So let me, let me try to make that a simple analogy, and this might be too simple, but is that like a no vacancy sign kind of? It is kind you of, know, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, you got all these spots here, but right now we ain't got room for you. Right, the resources so are just on. not here for you. Yeah, yeah. You there's no spot. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, and so that could be even airborne then, right? Yeah. That mm -hmm. can come in and contaminate water. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, just from the fungal side, uh, you know, spores are almost 
incomprehensibly small and um, obviously they move through air really easily I mean they move through soil really easily which you don't don't really think about things moving through the soil beneath you other than you know animals or microinvertebrates or something but spores very easily just are kind of floating through the soil like they are in the air and so they're always moving and interacting with things mixing with things and, yeah and, and I was going to ask you Dr. Ross is there like if you have um, if you have bad bacteria in your water that is going to then spread to the dirt because that I mean the, the bacteria is living in the water um, once you water your dirt is that going to spread into the dirt into the plant or is that just am it, I getting that wrong it depends if the environment that the water is going to so the soil can support growth of the organism okay mm -hmm. so, so it doesn't have to be in water for those particular organisms to be living they can transfer right into the dirt and sure and contaminate it Sure. A lot of the common water bacteria are also common soil bacteria. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. So, and then um, briefly real quick, RO water is used quite a bit by growers, the reverse osmosis. Um, is that something they should look into doing then? If they got, like, say they want to use city water and it's pretty bad, is that something they should do? Is there still bacteria? So reverse osmosis water passes the water through a membrane and immediately on the downstream side of the membrane that water will be sterile. There will be microbial regrowth in that, in that um, water, especially depending upon how it's stored and for how long. The, the benefit to reverse osmosis water is that you do remove the chlorine that's present in municipal water. So like we talked about before, if you're using chlorinated water on your soil, you're affecting the diversity of your soil microbiome because mm -hmm. chlorine is an oxidant. It's, it's put there to um, supposedly disinfect the bacteria. It will have an effect. Mm -hmm. Can you re-inoculate? Can you add more beneficials back in if you're, if you're having to do that? Or is that just kind of a vicious circle? Um, you know, the idea of probiotics, we as humans know that probiotics are healthy for us. We get them from places like yogurt and other fermented foods. The idea of probiotics for water systems or soil systems is kind of new, but absolutely it's a really, it's very, very important to have high diversity in your soil and beneficial microbes that are cycling nutrients and helping the plant have access to those nutrients. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you have anything to add to that, Jason? Um, I will say that um, one thing that we don't understand very well right now are competition dynamics in soil when um, supposed beneficial organisms are added. Um, so there's kind of an interest right now in soil microbiology at trying to look at quote-unquote native microbiology uh, um, communities in soil and how they're affected by um, the addition of like garden soil or the addition of particular really common types of fungi uh, or bacteria and so there's um, a genus of fungi called glomus it's a arbuscular mycorrhizal fungus uh, type that is pretty much in every sort of um, soil inoculant mix that you see on the market and had an interesting conversation with a botanist from Utah a year or two ago about this idea of you know how does that affect the community of microorganisms in the soil in the long run because we don't understand 
how some of these organisms compete against sort of the native microorganisms that are there. And theoretically, it seems like if you inoculate your soil, that's a good thing, but we don't, we don't know under what conditions that's actually true, if that makes sense. Um, there's the possibility that adding certain microorganisms to soil um, can actually kind of throw off the community of microorganisms if they're aggressive competitors. Um, and it, it's like, um, it's like weeds, um, you know, sometimes these um, fungi or bacteria that we want to add to soil, um, there's some good data on how they can help with nutrient cycling and stuff like that, but sometimes they're so aggressive at competing against other microorganisms that they'll sort of push everything else out and actually reduce diversity over time. And that's not necessarily what you want. And you, you guys keep using the word diversity. So we talk and you want to have the, the largest, widest range of all these different kinds of beneficials that you can. Or is there a competition going on there? You, it's complicated. Yeah, don't want to go down that <laughs> um, rabbit hole, huh? Well, you know, diversity <laughs> is good, but diversity alone is not necessarily an indication of, okay. of health. Um, you can have unhealthy environments with very diverse communities. It's a matter of what players are actually present. Okay. So I guess let me summarize this. So basically we, we as growers and people that are uh, working with cannabis, we got to look at our dirt. Mm -hmm. We got to look at our water. We're getting microorganisms. We're getting fungus, mold, that type of stuff in both those places. And those are common areas that we're going to see this stuff in. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that a lot of that we're going to deal with it towards the end of the processing. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually harvesting. Yeah. I mean, and then all those, and I'll let you touch on them if you want, but just some quick guidelines as, as some, you know, ba uh, practices and best practices, mm -hmm. if you will. So go ahead and talk about that. Yeah. Um, so most of these contaminations um, will usually occur during harvest, um, processing, uh, and storage. Um, and even these biological contaminations that we've been talking about, um, you know, water and soil are often how they get introduced to the environment, either through direct uh, contact with the plant, or let's say you just went and washed your hands with water of an unknown source, and then you handled cannabis material. It can happen a lot of different pet ways. Pet your dog. Right, pet your dog. Um, you just or watered your yeah. dog or something, <laughs> and, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, something as simple as, you know, um, getting in the way of a sprinkler and, and then handling things. I mean, there are a lot of different ways this can all happen. Um, generally, during the growth of the plant, uh, the plant itself is able to defend itself against a lot of a lot of different things that would want to piggyback on it. Um, but once you get into harvest and you have a lot of employees involved in touching this material, um, theoretically they might not be wearing gloves, so they might be you know literally directly contacting um, the plant with whatever uh, microbiology is on their skin, or you know. Um, uh, on top of this idea that there might be pets around in the mm -hmm. in the area, you Which know, can during trimming and stuff, right? It, I mean, it, it you know, often dogs is. are common, yeah. yeah, security and stuff like that. And so, you know, these contaminations a lot of times happen at that point uh, during processing, and then if humidity levels are not controlled in the plant material during storage, then any bacteria or fungi that are present then thrive because they've got moisture to rely on to you know live and, and grow and so that's when you start to see problems with fungal growth on cannabis material I mean obviously there 
are mold contaminations that happen during growth. A lot of growers are familiar with uh, gray mold mm-hmm. um, that'll uh, take over buds and things like that. Um, but a lot of times uh, cultivators are pretty diligent about trying to remove those types of contaminations that are easy to see um, from making it into, into final product. But you know these contaminations that happen during processing and grow out during storage, you don't necessarily see. Um, and in the lab, when we do um, tests for uh, fungal contaminants, um, a lot of times we see material that to the naked eye looks totally fine. It has no weird smell. Um, otherwise seems like uh, good material and then we played it out and we're like okay there's actually a really heavy fungal load on this material and not just that but some of the types of fungus that are present here are pretty dangerous um, and, it, and it varies quite a lot um, between harvests and batches and things well, like that. Well you don't want to be fooled just because obviously you don't see it it doesn't mean it's not there and, right. or even at unhealthy levels um, <clears throat> so bottom line we should be considering, at minimum, considering testing the water that we're using and the dirt too. Yeah, I, I definitely suggest um, to all cultivators to have their water source tested at least for, you know, you want to know that there aren't um, heavy concentrations of metals in the water. You want to know that there aren't any pesticide contaminants in the water. And if you can get some sort of just very general um, pathogen screen on the water just to kind of prove to yourself that you're not dealing with any um, abnormal bacteria um, that are sort of atypical, uh, then, you know, hopefully you won't end up with surprises at the end when you're getting your product uh, tested to go to the market. Um, And, you know, it does happen where people, organic growers that don't use pesticides, they they grow this uh, material and then they end up getting a pesticide detect and you know we end up trying to trace it back and it turns out that it's because their property is adjacent to someone using pesticides and so there's some uh, runoff contamination and things like that that they hadn't thought about that's making it into their plant material so yeah there's a there's a lot that can happen that is not so obvious it's easy to think you know well yeah I don't want to apply pesticides because I don't want to contaminate my product or you know um, there are a lot of of hidden sources of contamination and that's sort of the one of the major points we wanted to touch on at the seminar last night and that's why we focus so much on you know what's going on with soil and water because that's the stuff you really don't ever see yeah yeah and just real quick I want to mention before I forget if you're growing not just in dirt but you got to consider this stuff especially in hydroponics aeroponics and uh, any any of this stuff that mm-hmm. is dealing with water because uh, like you said dr. Ross there's this biofilm that that will build up and it is noticeable so if you, you do have that that's something that's it's there um, so keeping that stuff clean and there's some obviously some best practices a lot of those growers I'm sure uh, you know apply those you know like cleaning up every every time they harvest but um, so we've talked about the microbiology you've mentioned uh, obviously we talked about the fungus and stuff now you are talking about also getting um, some contamination from uh, the pesticides insecticides and heavy metals it just occurred to me we've got this lead now in our water system <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that so i mean legitimately not only drinking it but if you're using municipal mm-hmm. water you've got lead in that water that's going to transfer into the plant too oh yeah um so there you go there's a heavy metal issue there cannabis um 
while I do want to point out that there's very limited research um, concerning cannabis's ability to quote unquote hyperaccumulate metals. Um, it gets touted as a hyperaccumulator, but there's actually very little solid data on that. But what has been shown is that cannabis can tolerate metals really well, and it will consolidate them into every tissue in the plant um, relatively equally, um, not perfectly equally, but yeah, through every tissue, it'll it'll just suck it right up and, and store it away. And then, you know, one thing we pointed out in the seminar is while, yes, if you are exposed to metals, you know, once or twice, it, you probably won't notice anything. If you're otherwise healthy, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're a chronic consumer and you're being exposed to that repeatedly, um, well, just like the cannabis plant, your own body, um, it doesn't know what to do with those metals. And so it just slips them into tissues throughout your body. And over time, it, it sort of can reach a threshold where all of a sudden it can start to have negative effects on things like nerve signaling and uh, hormone signaling, all kinds of different things. Now, I'm sure you can get heavy metals from nutrients too, right? Mm -hmm. You gotta be careful of that because some will even tell you, you know, these contain <laughs> heavy metal or, yeah. or state of California. <laughs> You know, this will kill you. <laughs> and even it's not that bad. Even in pesticides, um, so in fertilizers and things like that, for sure. And even in some pesticides, um, certain metals may be added um, for whatever reason. Um, the United States has been trying to deal with that by trying to ban um, a lot of pesticides that they find that have significant levels of metals. But um, you know, it's not uncommon to find certain unregulated pesticides that may have like high copper loads um, or arsenic and things like that yeah and just like you said that's going to accumulate yeah. in the plant oh yeah 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 and there are, there are papers that specifically look at things like copper accumulation in the cannabis plant and um, is that a, is that something that can be tested like is that something that's going to be an option or is an option now or is um, it something they're not worried about yet i know it seems like you'd want to test for heavy metals if that's a concern some states um, are requiring heavy metals testing. Um, Oregon currently does not. Um, and it's one of these things where I don't know that there's enough data to know how much of a problem it actually is. Um, I can tell you that heavy metals testing is a lot different. That sort of inorganic um, analysis is a lot different than the types of organic chemistry analytical work that we typically do, it requires very um, unique types of equipment that just like all other analytical equipment is extremely expensive. And so it's hard to find a lab that can even do metals testing. And usually if you find one, they're still not wanting to touch cannabis. Usually they're environmental labs that are funded by the state or the federal government. And um, you know they just can't take the risk of handling cannabis materials yet. Let's get into detail about uh, what's required for testing. So, I mean, what is required for testing cannabis right now? And I know that there's changes coming up in October. Mm -hmm. So can we kind of talk about both those things and what the changes might be? Sure. Yeah. Um, right now, Oregon currently requires um, potency testing, obviously, um, on all final products that make their way into a dispensary, but also pesticide testing. Um, up until March, um, yeast and mold testing was required. Um, then when a new revision of the rules were pushed out in March 1, all of that text was kind of just missing. So um, right now there's no 
microbiological testing required in the state of Oregon. Um, but pretty much all dispensaries that we've talked to still expect to see um, at least some basic data about um, mold counts on cannabis flowers. Um, so that's kind of where the system's at now. Come October 1, um, this rule OAR 333-007 will become the official standard and what it lines out is that um, there will be a certain list of pesticides that have to be tested for which right now although pesticide testing is required there's no list of required pesticides there's just a list of four broad classes of pesticides that have to be tested for so labs up until this point in Oregon have been able to sort of arbitrarily set their own standards for what pesticides they're actually testing for. And so you could theoretically run across a lab that only tests one pesticide per category and still be state compliant, so to speak. Um, and you'd brought that up and that was a concern. I do want to talk about that. So when I look at a label, I, I, I at this point it's kind of misleading because when I look at a label, I'll see it'll say, you know, some will say pesticides and they'll just say zero. And then sometimes they'll say pesticides and it'll be under some kind of, you know, per, small percentage, you know, right. plus or minus this amount. But they're just saying pesticide. Right. So it's like, what does that mean? I mean, <laughs> that can mean so much. Does that mean just one of these nine thi 59 things on here? Or is it all of them? Is well, it right now it's kind of scary because that could mean one pesticide is not in there great okay what about the other four that i'm concerned about right and you don't know you don't know if the lab that tested for pesticides was actually testing for pesticides that are actually commonly used in the cannabis um, cultivation world um, so right now yeah there's kind of a, a a big problem with how you know test results are communicated to the consumer because a lot of times the uh, pass-fail lingo is used which provides the impression to the consumer that oh this passed the pesticide test so it doesn't have pesticides I see well, and you do but, see that pass yeah, fail. And, yeah but that's that's really a farce because I mean for one thing, no lab is testing for all known pesticides. Um, you just won't find that anywhere. I mean, you have to choose what you're looking for in the first place when you're doing this type of analytical work. There's no like one test fits all kind of sure. kind of thing. And so the idea that and it it kind of concerns me a little bit the the whole pass fail um, terminology and what that means to the consumer. Um, I I recommend to consumers, and I don't know how dispensaries would react to these kinds of requests, but I think it should be um, possible for the consumer to request to see the test results of a product if they're considering buying it so that they can sort of find that out for themselves, you know, what pesticides were tested for. And, you know, dispensaries oftentimes have products tested by one of any number of labs in the state. And so, you know, that kind of stuff is important to know. Um, it Come October 1, you know, this will all be dealt with on a certain level because there'll be a list of 59 pesticides, very specific pesticides with specific action levels that will have to be tested for. And so when you see a pass-fail designation in the future after October 1, theoretically, you at least know that what that means is that it doesn't contain any of those pesticides. Whereas right now, you just really don't have a frame of reference 
Okay, and is there some magical level? Because so some of them still show a, a plus or minus of some little number. Is is there? And it's obviously it, it passes. It doesn't say not pass. <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, uh, for instance, a few months ago we picked up some concentrates from Brookings, and it was from a fairly legitimate dispensary, and it, it said something like I don't know point zero one five percent or something. It was some small number, but mm -hmm. it was still on there. And I'm like, that was the first time I'd seen something that had not just pass or fail, mm -hmm. but like actually actual... a small number Interesting. that was supposed to be okay, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure I would have to see the labeling to kind of try to make sense of that. Um, is there, is is it, when it says pass or fail, is there, is there supposed to be zero? Well, zero, it's, zero, zero, it's zero, possible, zero. you know, so the quote unquote action level for pesticides right now in Oregon is 0.1 parts per million. So if a lab somehow detected a pesticide below that level, but above what's called their LOQ or their limit of quantitation, um, then, you know, theoretically they might be reporting, you know, that number. And so maybe that's what that is. But like I said, without seeing the actual yeah, packaging, actually, it's, yeah. it's hard to if say. If I got a picture of that, I, I usually take a picture of everything I get. So I'll, I'll look for that and see what you think. But um, what do you think, Dr. Ross? What do you think about lab testing right now in its current state, the legitimacy of it? So it, it brings up some interesting points, uh, especially for pesticide assays. So the interesting thing about looking for pesticides is oftentimes they aren't there if they haven't been used or they haven't been cross-contaminated. So if you're looking for a list of 60 analytes and every analyte is negative, how do you know you were actually able to detect the analytes in the first place? So that's why you have quality control um, uh, checks within your assay that prove to you that your instrument's working properly, that your sample prep is adequate to detect the analyte of interest. And um, you do those things with positive controls and negative controls. So in order for a negative result, a non-detect non result to mean something to an analyst, you have to know that you could have detected it if it was there. So that's a positive control. In order for a positive control to mean something, or sorry, in order for a positive result to mean something to an analyst, you have to know that you, it could have been negative had it not been there. So you haven't accidentally contaminated your samples through your sample prep or something like that, or one of the solvents you're using. Would that be the purpose of retesting for somebody? Because I've talked to a lot of people that say, oh, I've got this number, it concerned me, so I had it retested. Um, is that there's, so to make sure that on your end it's accurate so or? I guess there's a lot of potential for error if you're, um, for example, looking at cannabinoid potency. So there's many phases of the preparation of the sample, from the extraction of the sample through multiple dilutions sometimes, and then you also have to have your instrument calibrated properly. So there's a number of points along the process where something could go wrong. And if your laboratory does not control properly to know when something's wrong, you could get erroneous results. Yeah. It's very important for an analyst to have benchmark checks so that they can trust the data that they're getting. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think that you guys, 
I mean, obviously you guys are doing everything you can to do that. That's that's what you guys yeah. are doing. Yeah. What do you feel about other labs and how they're, I don't know if you want to go down there. I, I do um, know that, let me ask you this. What should people watch out for when sure. it comes to lab testing? Um, how can we protect ourselves in the best way to make sure we're getting at least the best answers we can get at this point? Yeah, you know, one thing that will help is that come October 1, assuming they don't change the deadline, um, labs that are doing cannabis testing will have to be accredited with the state um, through ORLAP, which is the Oregon Environmental Laboratory Accreditation Program. And in order to achieve ORLAP accreditation, you have to prove to a group of assessors that actually come on site and review everything you're doing you have to prove to them that you have a core quality management system in place and that all of these checks are in place and that you can, you know, defend these results. And, um, you know, sometimes those assessments can be, you know, very rigorous and there can be very um, simple things that can disqualify you, disqualify you from accreditation, like something as simple as just not documenting what you're doing appropriately because Ultimately, someone should be able to come behind you and recreate everything that happened to a sample, including what happened with the quality control samples that ran along with it and everything in order to um, recreate everything and, and assess um, uh, the level of integrity with the data realization. Um, so that's one step. Um, should but, the numbers come out fairly close to? I mean, is there a tight tolerance that you can stay in if you're following all those practices like that? Well, one one thing, one question we get a lot is, well, come accreditation time, will the methods be standardized and will we see consistent numbers? And uh, the answer to that, honestly, is no. Um, it, methods won't necessarily be standardized. Um, you'll have to properly validate a method and prove that the method is appropriate before it can be used, um, but that still allows for different methods to be employed to doing different types of work. And on top of that, there are ranges of um, allowances for things to kind of go um, slightly out of control. Um, so for instance, uh, with analyte recovery, so when you're doing extractions on a sample and um, you, you know, you actually have to sort of measure how accurately are we recovering all the analytes in the sample. Are we getting like 100% recovery, 90% recovery, and you can actually get over 100% recovery. This is kind of a weird statistical thing that <laughs> people don't think about, but <laughs> you're actually allowed um, under the standards uh, set forth by this accreditation program, uh, recoveries of anywhere between 70% to 130%. Um, so definitely there's still going to be variation that is allowable under an accredited system and there will be different methods allowed under the system but what it will do is tighten up everything so that you know labs employing different methods and everything there'll be a, a certain higher level of transparency and you know they'll be held accountable um, to the results that come out and um, so it's a it's a complicated issue you know with cannabis testing there's still a lot of R&D that needs to be done to figure out best methods and, and ways to really optimize all the stuff so for a while yet I I plan on seeing a lot of variation still it just won't be as much variation as we see now yeah 
Where do you see this going, Dr. Ross, as far as Kenevere and cannabis and that testing? Do you guys see that being significant for you? Uh, well, for me, I'm very pleased to be working with mm -hmm. Kenevere because um, our quality standards are very high here. We take our analytical chemistry and our data realization very seriously. Um, I've done a lot of work to verify for my own self that our numbers are correct. We recently passed a proficiency test uh, with very accurate results on um, a proficiency test sample, which is um, a sample which the concentration is known, but the analyst is blinded to it. So you do your assay, you report your result, and then the third party tells you how accurate your results were. So we were very pleased with our results. Nice, I see, I see. Well, I know that Jason was mentioning that you guys are are affiliated with, um, I can't remember, the EVIO. Yeah, Evio Labs. Evio. Yeah. And that's gonna give you guys somewhat of a standardization across all those labs, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a part of our greater mission of, yeah. of standardizing this stuff. It, it's definitely gonna take some time and a lot of work, but, you know, yeah, the goal um, with this company is to, you know, find best methods that can be deployed throughout labs all throughout the state and all throughout the country um, so that at least within our network, um, if people are, are working within that, they should be getting um, pretty consistent service, pretty consistent results, and working uh, within the same quality system. Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line, um, bottom line, what we're talking about with contaminants, contaminants is that uh, we're going to get them from our environment. We're going to get them from places we don't expect. It's going to be from water, dirt. Um, we could get, you know, contaminants from nutrients. Um, we could get contaminants from, I mean, you mentioned in the seminar that sometimes people use the um, the bombs, or I don't know what the proper... Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, the bug bombs, yeah, the, uh, pyrethroid or yeah, pyrethrin bombs. You can yeah. get cross-contamination on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I imagine, especially if you got neighbors on that and it somehow gets <laughs> yeah. out. But uh, So we all got to be aware of those things. And, uh, you know, you had also mentioned that these contaminants, especially in concentrates, you're seeing, what was it called, the PBO? Um, yeah, so there are certain, well, I to mean, back up a little bit, it's, okay. so a lot of contaminants in cannabis flowers, um, they share molecular properties that are similar to cannabinoids, and um, the consequence of that is that when uh, concentrates are produced, um, not only are cannabinoids concentrated, but any um, other contaminants, whether it be pesticides or mycotoxins or whatever, um, if the chemistry is right, it's going to pull those and concentrate those too. And in some cases, it even concentrates those compounds more than it concentrates the cannabinoids themselves. And so you can have um, non-detectable levels of pesticides in a flower, and then when you come out the other side with your concentrate, you actually have detectable levels. Um, it's tricky because a lot of concentrate producers want to do pre-screening on flower material and I don't know how valuable that actually is because even if you get a non-detect on your flower material it doesn't guarantee that your finished oil will be contaminant free um, so yeah <laughs> <laughs> it concerns me with some of the numbers that these labs are coming up with with both flower and concentrates and what's not so good is that a lot of these growers and and producers of this product are 
relying on it and, and bragging and using, hey, check this out. We got this and leaves a lot of people wondering, you know, how they got there with that number. Yeah. And uh, which, you know, it's too bad because a lot of these people are really striving, do have a good product. But the yeah. only way to, to show that is to have it tested. And then mm -hmm. we're in that gray area. One thing I like about you guys, though, unlike a lot of the other labs that I've seen, is that you guys are very transparent. Yeah. And you're very open with what you do. You share it. One of the best things is that you got this educational whole wing, if you will. I mean, with both free seminars, mm -hmm. which is, is great, and also some really in-depth educational paid um, right. yeah. programs. And if, if we're going to wrap this up here soon, but I'd really like to, if you can, just briefly talk about that and what you guys are doing so that our listeners can really get the idea of how transparent you are, how you're trying to share this information and plug it. You know, let's tell us what the free seminar is about, maybe the next one that's coming up. And then also, um, you know, tell us about the the paid uh, the uh, paid programs you have, because I know that those are not only intensive, but there's some uh, certification, if you will, that kind of goes along with that. And it also gives you a much broader, I you know, relationship with cannabis. So tell sure, us all yeah. about that before we before we end it here. Um, so, yeah, we offer a variety of different educational um, opportunities um, to teach people about um, analytical methods, to teach them about um, certain aspects of science of the cannabis plant or the chemistry of the plant, as well as um, understanding on a certain level how these things interact with our bodies and, you know, what that means for sort of health and wellness at large. Um, so our next free seminar, so we, we run our seminars through Southern Oregon University. Um, we um, have a really nice dedicated um, room there in the Stevenson Union that looks out over the mountains that I picked specifically because of the view. Um, uh, it, and just <laughs> just a note on that, it's very hard to watch you and that view at the same time. <laughs> right, yeah. So, very distracting, <laughs> but good. <laughs> very nice view though. Um, yeah. But uh, so our next seminar, these seminars run typically each year from March to October. Um, so we have one a month for free, um, always at SOU, always in the same room, always at the same time. So it's pretty easy to, to hunt them down. Our next one's coming up August 16th, and we're going to talk um, exclusively about terpenes, which is a real hot topic right now in the cannabis industry. Um, we'll talk some about, um, you know, what terpenes and terpenoids are, um, how they've been studied in the past, um, kind of what cannabis uh, research is um, sort of shedding new light on and, um, and that sort of thing. We'll talk about aromatherapy, that's a big part of, of um, um, terpene science. Um, and then on top of that we do hands-on workshops where we teach people how to do um, like home potency testing on cannabis flowers and concentrate materials and extracts um, and we've got a couple of those coming up uh, one on July 25th and another on August 29th um, those are both Mondays um, from I think they start at 6 o'clock p.m. and run until around 8:30 or so um, and uh, attendees that that make it out to those events they get a kit that gives them all the supplies they need to test up to I think about 25 samples uh, before they need to re-up on on supplies and everything and we actually let um, people that attend use as much of our own materials as they can so they don't have to use um, consumables in their kit and we 
go through and teach them proper techniques, um, some lab safety stuff, um, kind of we explain how the chemistry works um, and so that they can have a better understanding of what's influencing their final results in the first place. Um, and then um, I think the most valuable thing about the workshops is just meeting with an actual scientist that is going to sit there with you one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, we limit the size of these workshops to only about five or six people right now. And so you, it's a pretty intimate experience. I mean, you get to ask a lot of questions um, and, and really um, walk away feeling, you know, pretty comfortable with, with the technology that you're given to, to work with. And um, then on top of that, we have these uh, month-long um, really college-level intensive courses that um, I've been working to put together for some time now. They, each session runs about five weeks, and um, we have once-a-week classroom meetings for three to four hours, and then uh, throughout the rest of the week, the rest of the material is online, and we cover just um, a broad survey of topics. So our Concepts of Cannabis Science 1 course is our our sort of intro class where we cover things like some basic um, cannabis botany. Um, we talk a little bit about soil science, um, basic chemistry, so we'll talk about cannabinoids and terpenes and even flavonoids and um, the endocannabinoid system, ranging then all the way towards production methods and um, analytical methods and things like that. And then our Concepts of Cannabis Science 2 class is much more focused on um, sort of the um, health aspect of all of this, you know, what sort of uh, medical research has actually been done. We focus on the history of cannabis research and cannabinoid research and kind of where it's going and, you know, what do we know versus what do we not know, what will we pretty much never know. Um, and so that one, that one gets a, a lot more in-depth. Um, and so those are coming up, our concepts, one class. Our next session is in August, and we're still trying to fill some spaces for that, if anyone's interested. And then um, our Concepts 2 class, uh, we have a session coming up in September, so theoretically someone could take both classes back to back. Um, these might be some, some, these classes might be something good for, you know, people like uh, bud tenders, not just growers, but I mean, I'm sure yeah, um, anybody mean, in this field can benefit from, from those classes, whether you're even a rec grower or a rec user yeah and honestly a lot of powers you a lot of people that take the classes are patients okay um but it's it's designed to you know meet the needs of anyone in the industry and we customize the experience from the beginning and so we do an inventory of our learners and what their interests are and why they're even taking the class in the first place and then going forward throughout the class we tailor some of the material to specifically address um, these questions that our learners have. and um, So, yeah, I mean, it's good for cultivators, patients, I would even say healthcare professionals that are wanting to understand more and, and really, you know, relate to what their patients are, are talking about when they're talking about cannabis and, and treating different things um, with uh, cannabis and cannabis-infused products, and, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that we've got a lot of information out of you this time. Sure. Uh, yeah. W uh, Dr. Ross, is there anything, is there any other points that we missed that you want to make sure we get across to our the, folks? The only there? thing that I would add is um, I've really enjoyed working with Jason on some of the education components 
the workshops, the thin layer chromatography <coughs> workshops that he's mentioned. I've really enjoyed helping out with those, especially because it seems like we get participants from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And the, there's these really interesting dialogues that happen where the, the visitors describe what is going on where they live in the cannabis world. And it brings up some really interesting discussions. It does, so it's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, this is uh, for, for you guys, is that we're really having a lot of other people, especially a lot of other countries, uh, take notice on the, the states that we do have, especially the rec states, because we're pushing so, f you know, fast forward into the whole regulation and yeah. and certifications and testing and all that stuff. Um, so in some of the research I've done, because I had mentioned to you that we picked up Germany this mm -hmm. um, this time. Uh, also, there's uh, a, a several other people out there that are looking actually that are interested in this kind of information that's coming yeah. from you guys outside this country um, one because they're you know a lot of people are trying to get this worldwide legalization if you will I mean mm -hmm. get other countries involved so we're kind of the leading legitimacy here and then also because um, you know we're we're kind of stumbling through it sure and yeah. learning and then they're kind of sitting back and watching and seeing what we're doing so with, you know, with that said, just keep doing what you're doing because there's a lot more than just, you know, this little area of our world that's taken notice. Yeah, I and actually, so, um, I'd like to do a little shout out just knowing that there are folks in Germany yeah. listening. And I think um, someone mentioned Slovenia, too. Um, I was going to say, I don't know actually, if you saw that. Yeah, but, we actually um, have some some friends out there. Mm -hmm. There's a nonprofit group um, based in Slovenia. It's a um, group of researchers in Slovenia and Germany and I want to say even um, potentially Croatia and a couple other places um, that are coming together under this group called ICANA, it's International um, Cannabinoid Research Group, I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but um, we've been working with them since the beginning of the year on a number of levels. They've actually gone through our classes, um, nice. they've done our educational stuff and we're trying to figure out some ways that we can collaborate to, um, you know, offer this type of transparency and, and public education uh, to the world, really. And so I want to definitely do a shout out to those guys, and I hope they're listening. Uh, yeah, they should be. And uh, we're going to do a shout out to them, too. But um, interesting enough, did you see the post that was on our Facebook or did you just bring that up? Um, yeah, I saw that. OK, post. good. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. And so I've got some emails about that, too, which actually is more in depth, but yeah, they are taking a big notice. Oh yeah, and yeah. this is good. Um, even in the states that we have around here that aren't legal yet, you know, the the, the we, we picked up all the West Coast and everything. But what's funny enough is we're picking up more illegal states quickly. So mm -hmm. you know, Utah and and Wisconsin and uh, you know down south, and it's just, so mm -hmm. it's just um, you know <laughs> they're watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we appreciate it. Uh, the listeners appreciate it. And we uh, definitely look forward to doing any, uh, any other collaboration that we're going to be doing. And Dr. Ross, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was good to hear uh, what you had to say. So we appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having us back. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Dr. Ross. Thanks. Okay. So that was uh, their perspective, uh, the doctor, uh, Kim Ross, and Jason's perspective on what's coming up in October and there's just a lot of information there. What'd you think of it? I enjoyed it. I liked, uh, I liked all the information actually about the water and the, um, 
the microbes in the water and yeah it really shocked me how first of all how many how much life we have in water you know i mean i, I know like in irrigation water and, and ditch water and lake water and stuff you you can actually see some of the stuff that's in there but you know yeah yeah the particles floating but, but how much is actually in city water even after chlorination and actually how some of those microbes protect themselves from the chlorination is kind Scary. of well, creepy <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, um, the way she explained it. But basically, you know, what it narrows down to is we're getting these contaminants through water and dirt and then also uh, through the end at processing. And I think that's the biggest, hardest part for growers is that you, you've got this stuff nailed. You really don't have too much problem in, in vegetative. You start picking up some of these problems in flowering. And then you really run up against the wall when you're at the end and you're curing. Yeah. And curing is tough. It's not only a skill, but it's an art to do it right. And there's always that fine balance between mold and a nice cure. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to stretch that. First of all, you want to dry it. Okay. And that could take a week to two weeks. And then you want to start curing it. And that cure is that balance where you want a tiny bit of moisture left that you can release slowly, mm -hmm. but not enough moisture or not enough activity that you're gonna get these molds. And you know, you're not as Such as when we put it into a jar and burp it, like you said. Exactly, so that's not, I wouldn't call that drying, I would call that curing. Curing, And yes. drying that's, is that's just the initial, we you know, hanging them up yes. <clears throat> by the stock and and going a week or two, depending on the temps, uh, to, to actually get them to the point of the cure. Yes. That's where it yes. becomes important because even after just a week drying time, you really haven't done it justice and it sure hasn't gotten its full potential. <clears throat> so by curing it, you add a lot of processes, namely getting rid of chlorophyll and causing some chemical reactions that not only bring out the flavors, but like I said, just the whole, it's the whole thing. Is it true that you can also use a bucket like you did last year? Well, yeah. I mean, if you got a lot, geez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm this year. I'm looking into those. There's these bags that are, I mean, they're like turkey bags, but they're not. They're an odor-proof bag that holds up. Like you can get up to a pound in some of them, hmm. or in, if you get the right size. So, because I've got some issues, you know, with when you get into the pounds and you start putting it in buckets. I don't know, but that's it. It cured great, but I just don't. There's like plastic. I don't like that plastic thing. Yeah. Yeah. So these bags are like PTF free and BP PDA free and stuff. So, but they cure good, <laughs> and I can cure them in places that I, you know, won't have to worry about smell with those. Right. I can, you know, put them in some at the top of some closet, you know, somewhere, and not right. have to worry about it stinking while I'm curing them. Uh, because one thing he did point out is when you are curing and drying, humidity. A static humidity is best. You don't mm -hmm. want your humidity going up and down and you want it static. That's hard to do unless it's in a controlled grow room or in your house because in your house it tends to be pretty, pretty, pretty regular. stable. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just one little note here also. Uh, there are also going to be other requirements, not just for testing for pesticides, but also for residual solvents and moisture content and water activity. All those will be uh, new requirements as of October 1st. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed 
that talk, we sure did. We enjoyed having Dr. Kim Ross on as well, too. Um, she had a lot to say. She really had a lot to say at the seminar, too. And so we look forward to having her come back on, too, and sharing more of the microbial knowledge with yes, us. Yes, um, As far as our, our grow, there's really not much to go in this week, so I won't take it too much further. But, they, you know, it's the girls are doing fine. Still have not done that transplanting. Going to hit Applegate soils to get the dirt. As we said earlier. I'm sure people are seriously rolling their eyes right now, but um, we'll be okay. I've got hey, them in fairly. It's not, it's not only the girls that are out of water or out of uh, dirt. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we <laughs> We've got that. other things that need some attention yeah. too back there. So, busy, busy life. Yeah, once we get, and I want to get the um, greenhouse up for the balance of the year. So that's just the big change is just trying to get those in there transplanted and in there properly and settled completely uh, Yep. and do that. So comfortable. Yeah. We're going to be looking into some different nutrient lines to try. I am been really happy with the down to earth. I'm getting a little flack for not trying other things. And so I'm going to, you know, venture out there, venture out and start trying a few things and give my two cents about it. So that's coming up too. Other than that, that's it for this week. You got anything else? Not really. Okay. Well, we appreciate you folks. We appreciate Germany coming on. We appreciate our show supporters. We appreciate all you listeners across the States. And check us out on social media. We keep everything updated there. And it's all at Oregon Rooted. And come come check us out on the website. We'd like you to be a part of that. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for be a part of the community. And diving into our ventures yeah and we're always looking for content and content creators so if you have anything that you'd like to share or you think that we might be interested in please let us know email us organ, organ rooted at gmail.com or of course both me and lady sativa at organrooted.com higher peaks and lady sativa mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i guess that's it so signing out <laughs> okay we'll see you next week organ love <laughs>